At Norfolk Southern, safety is our number one priority. It's a way of life and one of our guiding principles. Our safety program extends beyond our rail operations into the communities where we live and work. As your transportation provider and your neighbor, we strive to be safety leaders in both the workplace and at home. That's our culture. Our OR program, which stands for Operation Awareness and Response, was launched in 2015 to educate the public about the economic importance of the safe movement of hazardous materials by rail and to connect emergency first responders in Norfolk Southern communities with information and training resources. The goal of OR is to strengthen relationships with the first responders across our 22-state network. Norfolk Southern has been providing safety training for emergency responders through community outreach programs for years. OR builds on those efforts, focusing on closer relationships with local and state agencies, increased training opportunities, tabletop drills and participation in full-scale exercises, and providing better resources for emergency responders, such as the Ask Rail mobile app that allows first responders to use their mobile phones to look up commodity and response information on shipments. As part of our OR program, we use a safety train with a dedicated locomotive, specially equipped classroom boxcars, and several tank cars for additional hands-on training along our lines. If you're interested in learning more about OR or our popular first responder training, visit our website, nscorp.com. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. Welcome to the AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. I'm Matt Greller with AIM, and my guest today is relatively new Secretary of Commerce, David Rosenberg. David, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity. David, you've uh, we've known each other for a long time. You've, uh, you're still very young, but you've got a very uh, stellar, I guess, record in public service. Talk to us a little bit about where you've been and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I'm a lifelong Hoosier. was born down in Jeffersonville, moved up to the south side of Indianapolis when I was young, grew up in the Southport area, went down to IU for undergrad and law school. Uh, quickly realized I didn't want to be an attorney, met my wife in law school, so it was still a good <laughs> investment, but uh, realized I didn't want to be an attorney. And so... I wanted to do something else and got my first internship out of law school with uh, the city's corporation council uh, when Mayor Ballard was mayor and Chris uh, Chris Cotter was actually the corporation council. And so um, got to come up under Mayor Ballard, worked in his administration after that internship for almost five years after that through most of his second term. And, you know, that experience was really foundational, um, learning how to how local leaders um, really look at the world, how they impact their community, the day to day success. Of, of what their communities and neighborhoods can feel. And so that was a really a foundational and critical moment early on in my career to, to see that development up close. Mayor Ballard's got a good track record of producing a lot of folks are, that are in public service still today. We just had Dan Shackle, the new yeah. DLGF commissioner, on the other day. He's a former former uh, Mayor Ballard staffer as well. So appreciate all that and all the good work you're doing and will continue to do. You were 
you know, working with Secretary Chambers up until recently, you know, sort of the number two position, if you will. Now you're you're the top dog. Any big surprises? No, right now we have, uh, you know, 14 months left in Governor Holcomb's term, and a lot of it is taking the, the incredible momentum the state has and landing those planes and creating that generational success for Hoosiers all across the state. Two years ago when Secretary Chambers came in, you know, we moved the organization from a transactional organization to a strategic one, meaning we are going to go get the economy we wanted and not just sit back and see who called us to come here. And the markets really responded to that in a, in a historic way. I mean, Indiana's ranked the number one state to start a business. In the last 18 months, we've had over $33 billion of new committed capital expenditure. Half of that's going into urban areas. Half is going into rural and mixed rural areas. And so truly spread out across the state. And the great news about uh, those committed capital dollars is they're high-wage jobs. And so they exceed the U.S. national average, um, which puts more money in Hoosier pockets and really creates that generational wealth we really want to lean into. And so we're going to be very aggressive and continue to lean into that. I think for a state like Indiana, we have a horizon where we can go out and get more than our fair share. After COVID, with the reshoring and modernization, with all the geopolitical tension that we've seen around the world, people are looking for that domestic supply chain and they need, you know, they need that production facility. And so a state like Indiana, I think, can really go out with the tools the legislature has given us with Governor Holcomb's leadership and really lean in and get more than our fair share of that investment over the next 10 years or so. And so we're really excited about that. Like I said, the markets responded. But in these final 14 months, there's a lot more to do to really set up those pieces to be successful long term. You know, back when Mayor Ballard was in office, he started a group called the Central Indiana Council of Elected Officials that brought together, you know, town council presidents and mayors from the Central Indiana region. And, you know, regionalism has been something that I think our organization has embraced for a long time. Um, you know, we've had pockets of really good activity around the state, but really until recently, you know, I guess starting with regional cities, but really taking off with Ready 1.0, uh, we began to see transformational things happen around the state. You know, looking back, there have been hundreds of projects already done under Ready 1.0. What, what's been your take? Anything that surprised you about how successful it's been uh, initially? And then we'll, we'll get into Ready 2.0 here in just a second. Yeah, absolutely. No, we've been blown away. You know, you mentioned regional cities, and that, that impacted three communities to a large scale. Uh, what we've been excited about with, with Ready One is that it truly is 17 regions all across the state that impacts all 92 counties for that true population growth and quality of place to uh, attract and retain that talent we need in the state. And so we've had almost 487 million of the original 500 million in form of grants um, that have been committed to those regions. We have 361 unique quality of place projects across all 17 of those regions. And what's great is every dollar that the state's putting in, we're getting a $26 uh, dollar leverage amount from other public, private, and philanthropic groups. And so the state's $500, $500 million commitment, Ready One, is expected to leverage $12.2 billion uh, just through that Ready One. So then when you add that to the new $500 million that the legislature passed this last session, um, the state's $1 billion investment is projected to leverage over $20 billion in that quality of life population growth. Um, which I can tell you no other state is doing. And I, it's, can, I agree. <laughs> you know, when, when I'm at national meetings with Jennifer and Aaron and others in our organization and we talk about ready, everyone just kind of stares at us and say, what? Yeah. You know, your state's making $100 million investments, multi-hundred dollar million investments in quality of place. It's really an exceptional thing that we have going on here. Absolutely. And that's critical to continuing to grow our population uh, for our state. 
we have to have the economy of the future and those jobs that, that people want over the next 20, 30, 40 years, but we also have that have to have that place. So it's truly a balance in making sure that we have the right uh, business climate, which we're very strong in, great tax structure, but we also have to be able to make those investments into the communities for where people want to live. And um, it's a really, you know, you have to have both of those, those shoes walking together to be successful. The, the numbers are staggering, but I, what I really like is seeing, you know, like in Southwest Indiana, watching Princeton and Vincennes work together in support of projects for, for Toyota to attract more people to that area, to have more workers there. Mm -hmm. It's just really cool to see. And it's been regionally driven. You know, we're not in the middle of it. It's the regions that have taken it on their on themselves to the cities and towns and regions to come together to develop their plan, what's important to them, and then the state supporting that. So it's a new way of looking at it. But I think, you know, outside of the great success and the leverage and all that, I think that regionalism component that you mentioned is going to be the, the lasting legacy of Ready and that those regions can continue to work together on the unified plan, whether it's going after federal grants, whether it's going after businesses, whatever it may be, that regionalism, I think, will be that, that legacy that we leave behind. Now, I know there was a lot of work that went into it behind the scenes, but really seemed like a no-brainer and one of the easier lifts from the legislative perspective to get ready 2.0 across the finish line. You know, $500 million is not an insignificant amount of money. The governor was obviously extremely supportive. IEDC has been extremely supportive. Was it as easy as it looked? Uh, it, it was, uh, there was, there were some twists and turns as, as there always are, but no, the legislature has been a great supporter, not only of Ready, but um, the, the IDC generally and the investments that are being made. And so we're really excited to see Ready2 come to fruition. We knew the appetite and demand from, from cities and towns across the state was there. And the legislative leaders really stepped up and, and made it a fairly easy process to get over the finish line. From a logistical standpoint, anything with Ready 2.0 that that we ought to be able to inform our members about that could be a little bit different than Ready 1? Yeah, from the timeline perspective, you know, I know regions are developing their proposals now through, uh, through February of next year. Um, we'll continue to hold regional forums each quarter. And so our, our quarterly uh, Ready Forum will come up in December. The regions will submit their proposals in February. Uh, we'll look for our board approval in April from our investment commitments and allocations to those regions. And then in May, we'll continue to begin coordination with those regions to, to get that funding out there. Uh, the biggest, I think, plus in Ready2 is that these are state funds and not the federal funds. Yeah. And so uh, we, they should be a, hopefully a little bit more streamlined process and an easier kind of startup. Um, you know, there's going to be a little bit longer timeline to submit, and we'll continue to work with regions on that. Uh, we'll also be focused on those measurable outcomes for the KPIs, and we're looking at a maximum award of $75 million this round per region instead of 50 to truly try to attract those transformational projects across the state. You know, in Ready One, not to go back there again, but the infusion of the federal money did create problems, I guess, statewide. But I will say that you all did a great job of being responsive to those issues and trying to work through them. I know no one maybe got the exact answer they were looking for, but the, the effort from you all was really good. No, we appreciate, and we appreciate your guidance and support and your members' guidance and support. Um, you know, again, as we talked about, no one else is doing this, so it was a new process, and we know there were hiccups along the way, but that's why we want to continue to have these forums and get out and about around the state so we can hear directly from your members on what's working, what may need to be tweaked this time around. We've got uh, David Rosenberg here with us, Secretary of Commerce uh, in the state of Indiana. Let's transition just a little bit to, uh, you know, probably the most interesting, I guess, uh, economic development undertaking the state has seen, at least in a, a good while, LEAP. 
uh, is a project just in, outside of Lebanon, Indiana, in Boone County. Um, maybe just start with a general overview. What is LEAP and, and why is it going to be so important to the state's economy? Absolutely, yeah. When, uh, when Secretary Chambers and I came in um, in summer of, of 2021, one of the first projects that came across our desk was the Intel project. The state had never you know, been in the game on a project that large before um, in, in, in that industry. And we quickly realized, despite you know, having a great team and, and then pushing the envelope and throwing everything they had at it, at that time, we didn't have the tools and we didn't have the other pieces that those industries were really looking for for Indiana to ever be successful in, in that type of role. So what we did is talk to other, other industry players, not only in the semiconductor space, but EV battery, bio life science, ag tech, to really see what was driving the market. And we called a lot of other secretaries of commerce around the state in the, in the leading states to see what was working for them. And what we quickly realized, while incentives were important, the number one thing um, outside of workforce was that, was that they needed speed. And you know, in 2005, Mitch Daniels set up the IDC to meet the needs and speed of the market. And we weren't doing that at this time um, because we didn't have that, that tools or, or that land to be able to invest in. And so we say speed is the new incentive. So LEAP was really set up as a direct, um, you know, those direct discussions with industry and other states where Indiana had lagged a little bit behind. And thanks to Governor Holcomb's leadership and the, the support of the legislature, we we're not only able to update our incentive toolkit, but we we're also able to lean into these things um, like that site readiness where when a company comes in, they can make that investment and get a return on that sooner, really meeting that, that demand that, that required to play, um, you know, on these large deals. So Lebanon is, is um, strategically located in what's what actually President Chang from Purdue has called the hard tech corridor, which is bookended by West Lafayette and talent pipeline coming out of Purdue University um, down through LEAP and then into the population center of, of greater Indianapolis, close to the airport, rail infrastructure. Um, so really, you know, selling that ecosystem idea, which companies are leaning into. And we've seen it for decades with things, you know, what what. Research Triangle Park in North Carolina is doing, Middle Georgia Park in Georgia, uh, the mega sites in Texas. This is not a new concept where these type of companies want to be around innovation and ideas and talent and workforce. And so really creating that in Indiana for the first time um, to sell that broadly to not, to not only the country but the world and be able to attract those economies of the future, uh, the mega scale deals that, that will really set Indiana's economy for the next 50 years. Was it hard for, or is it hard for you to, to work with Purdue as an IU graduate? <laughs> Purdue has been great. Um, I, you know, the transition from uh, President Daniels to President Chang has been been outstanding, and we have a great partnership with them. Uh, I will say President Witten is, is, and her team are quickly making those investments to, to try to be on the same playing field. We got Notre Dame, Rose Holman, Ball State, uh, Taylor University. We were there last week, and they're doing a lot of great things. So. I think, you know, what we do great here is that public-private partnership and um, with the Lilly Endowments uh, Community and Colleges program, I think we're going to see a lot of development from, from that ecosystem. I also think with the new IU and Purdue campus, you know, that's going to be revolutionary for, for Central Indiana and the commercialization and the, the ability for um, tech startups and ideas and research to come out of there. I, I think people are underestimating what that will mean for the state over the long run. So we'll save our animosity for the University, <laughs> University of Kentucky. Fair <laughs> enough. We can all agree on that. <laughs> so obviously a, a project of this scope and magnitude, you're going to have pushback from various segments of the population or, or the state, uh, both 
from a people perspective and also from a, a location perspective or a geography perspective, I guess you will. What are some of the hurdles you're encountering now and, and what, what steps are you taking to overcome them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's been a lot of misconceptions out there, which, as you said, was something this high profile, um, you know, is to be expected. And so just Leap generally, you know, Leap is not set up to compete against other cities or, or their, um, you know, their focus on economic development, even land assemblage. You know, we're looking at sites that are 500 acres plus, and it's not just one 500 acre site. Like I mentioned it, you know, we're creating that that innovation district where companies want to be around other like-minded companies with that talent. And so it's not going after the, the 10, 15 acre, uh, you know, bio life science or innovation area, but truly those mega sites, 500 acres plus that are developing there. And this is not a, um, you know, any project that comes in, send a leap. Like we know this is a multi-decade development that needs to have the right users to really be successful. And in fact, we've turned users away who said they want to come to leap because they're a better fit and say, you know, Purdue Research Foundation right. than they are at Leap. And so it's not a fill it at all cost by any means. We've actually guided projects to other areas that have been successful because they make more sense to fit there. And so it's not a direct competition with, with any cities. And that's one I know, you know, we've, we've heard from others, you know, Leap is designed to compete against those Austin and Raleigh and, um, you know, Scottsdale and Nashville and other worldwide cities that are doing this, not, you know, things that are going on in, in um, Main Street around around Indiana. So that's a great point. If if a community has a project on their horizon, they still will work with IEDC just like they always have. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Certainly appreciate that. Let's uh, maybe shift a little bit into water. It's been in the, the news for sure. Uh, what's the latest there? I, you know, I saw recently that one of the major providers pulled out of the their application process to IURC. Where, where do we go next and what can the folks in that region expect? Yeah, again, it's a, a multi-phase long-term development. And so currently LEAP and Lebanon area has all the water they need to serve Eli Lilly, all the customers they currently have with, with a little bit of growth from there. The, the report you mentioned was for what we're calling a phase one to bring 10 million additional gallons to the site each day. Um, that was completed additional water is not needed, which is why citizens removed from the IURC. And so it wasn't anything related to any of the you know, reports in the news or anything else. It was truly that the, the water need that we had been discussing has been satisfied. And so their filing or, or doing any additional, um, bringing additional water to the site was no longer needed. And then as you look at what we're calling a, a phase two, which is the potential to bring additional resources from a different aquifer, you know, a few, a few different things there. Indiana one has an abundance of water all across the state. Um, and it's, it's the ability to move it to where it's needed. So there's no shortage of water as we have, you know, throughout the state. Second, there's no current contract in place to build a pipeline, despite a lot of those uh, media reports to the contrary. All that is being done right now is, is finding where potential water could be what could that capacity be um, if we needed to move that water and, you know, potential routes and things like that. There is no other contract in place to move forward. Any other, um, you know, pipeline or, or any other up infrastructure, this is truly just seeing what is there. Um, and then third, you know, we are the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. It's been well studied since the 1940s that you know, central Indiana has a water scarcity problem and even recent uh, Indiana Finance Authority studies have shown uh, central Indiana has a water scarcity problem. 
our premise was, could we use economic development and what's going on around central Indiana to unlock those resources and bring a regional generational water solution to central Indiana? To do that, we would need a multi-billion dollar large water user to say, we are going to Indiana to locate. So should an economic development project from that multi-billion high water user not come to locate in Indiana for whatever reason, the Indiana Economic Development uh, Corporation is no longer involved in any type of discussion around water or pipeline or, or central Indiana's water scarcity problem. Um, it's going to be a problem that a future administration and future legislature has to solve at some point um, because we know we're getting to that point. Uh, but again, if a an economic development project does not unlock those resources, there's really no no role uh, to play there. And last, you know, I think last thing I'll mention is Greater Lafayette is obviously an incredible partner. Purdue's an incredible partner. They've had incredible growth and success with the development that they've had. So there is no scenario where it makes any sense for us, the state, anyone to say, all right, well, we're, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and taking water out of one area to, to bring it to the other. Um, and, and we work very closely with Purdue, leaning in on the semiconductors, what they've done with, with Saab and GE Aviation and everything else. And so there's no scenario where in any circumstance, you know, we would hinder their ability to continue to grow for decades into the future. And you've been engaging with these communities already in the, you mentioned the greater Lafayette area and others. What can those folks expect going forward from IEDC in terms of just communication and, yep. and outreach and those kinds of things? So all of the data that we've received from our first two test wells is up on our LEAP website. Even, you know, dozens of spreadsheets that I have no idea make heads or tails from. The hydrologists and the, the data experts are looking at those. All of that information, including presentations um, voiced over by a hydrologist looking at the water, uh, can all be found on, on LEAP Lebanon. I think the other thing is, you know, Indiana is one of the few states without a water kind of management entity. And so I think this is actually a really good conversation that's been started and how do we make sure we use those resources appropriately moving well into the future? Because I think water, you know, we've seen in other states become a detriment. I think it can truly be an asset because we have that abundance of water. I think for economic development, for housing growth, for ag growth, I think using our water resources appropriately and, and effectively can really set Indiana apart and give a lot of credence into the market. And so I think looking at how do we start to look at what is a water uh, management entity and come into the state and make sure we can use that appropriately, I think I think is really effective. We've found a lot of water. Um, like I said, we've done two two wells with final results. We have a third uh, well that's, that's getting data now, a fourth well that will start soon. So by the, the end of the year, we should have res final results of four wells that we'll publish um, on our website. But without that water management entity, my biggest fear is that someone else will come in and start tapping into that water um, and prospecting it and sending it elsewhere. And it may not be the highest and best use as a state that we need to lean into. So I think an entity that can really look at that management and, and how we can do that effectively for the long term uh, will be really important to the state's future. You bring up a great point. It's not just the LEAP district. It's statewide. There's lots of case law in, in this area that has been vetted over the years. It's really just a race of who can get their straw on the ground first and, and use the water. Absolutely. So you're, I think talking about it from a statewide perspective makes a lot of sense. David, anything else that you want to cover on LEAP? I know we've already talked about it pretty extensively. Anything else out there? You know, I think, again, it is a multi-decade um, investment. It has come together a lot faster with Eli Lilly being the cornerstone and their $3.7 billion investment. 
you know, I think there's a lot of noise around it. it even if Eli Lilly was the only thing to occur there, it was still a hugely successful investment because it's the largest single site investment uh, in manufacturing that Eli Lilly has done, largest deal that IDC has done. And Dave Ricks on the day of the announcement said without leap in the vision, you know, Eli Lilly probably wouldn't locate it within, within uh, Indiana. And so that's a huge win to keep that homegrown company with the largest manufacturing investment they've done. Secondly, um, you know, the pipeline remains incredibly strong for leap. Um, you know, we have, we have almost $60 billion of, of capital that's looking at leap and in some phase of, of moving forward there. Um, so I think there's a, a ton of momentum and people see the vision. And again, having that, um, domestic pipeline and production facility is going to be absolutely critical. And then third, you know, we have options on, on about 9,000 acres. And so again, it will only develop if the market responds. Um, we haven't gone out and, and bought all 9,000 acres. I know that's a common misconception, but we have options on that land. And so as the market responds, we can convert those options into purchase and then sell that land to, to the company. Um, so I think it'll be very market driven and making sure that we're being very, um, you know, efficient and frugal with taxpayer dollars, but also leaning in and letting the market know that Indiana is open for business. And these are the economies that will drive uh, the state for many decades to come. Thanks again for joining us, David. Really appreciate you being here. Um, we had your predecessor on the podcast a while back, and I asked him the same question that I'm going to ask you now to wrap things up. Nobody listens to this podcast, so what's the next really big announcement that you can share with us here in complete confidence? Just give us a little preview. Uh, personally, um, I'll have my third kid in about three weeks, and so that's uh, you know there's a lot driving to that. No, like I said, there's so much good going around the state, and it's a lot of it's being driven by you know your members and the local leaders that are out there pushing it every day. When you look at $3 billion commitment in, in New Carlisle, $6 billion in Kokomo, over a billion in Terre Haute, everything that's going on in, in River Ridge, that development there, uh, Allen County and Fort Wayne continuing to grow. It truly is statewide, the incredible momentum that we've seen. And again, it's not just the business development side, um, but it's also the community development side, it's entrepreneurship, it's marketing the state. Um, and so it's been urban, rural, north central south east west all across the states had incredible momentum and as long as we continue to share that vision work together like hoosiers do ensure everyone has the resources they need to to be effective um, i see no reason why you know we can't close out governor holcomb's term with historic legacy and then set up whoever's the next administration in a very strong position to continue that david rosenberg secretary mr secretary i should say thanks for joining us uh it's been great to have you on uh, we're recording this right before a municipal election. We're going to have a whole lot of new folks in that we're going to have to re-educate on all the things IEDC does. So appreciate the partnership uh, with you and the whole team. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for your leadership and thanks to all your members for what they do.